Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you're looking for a snack that packs a punch, look no further than Avinola, a granola that can be taken on the go and it's so versatile that it can be eaten as a snack or as a meal. We love Avinola because of its nutritional content. Lots of granolas have a high sugar content, but not Avinola. This granola is sweetened with monk fruit, so it actually doesn't spike your blood sugar, and it's a great option for those who may be diabetic or looking for a low sugar alternative compared to other granolas. I mean, what could be better than a granola that only has one gram of sugar? Not to mention it's keto approved. So that means it's only got one gram of carbohydrates. And this is because it's made with lupini beans. And y'all, I have to tell you right now, I would have no idea this wasn't made from a grain because it tastes so good. So go grab yourself a bag of Avinola at avi-foods.com and upgrade your granola fix right now. Use our code PILOTSPANDEMIC for 15% off your first order. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Pilots Pandemic Podcast. You're here with your host, Emma, and our lovely co-host, Maddie. Hey, guys. And this week, we are joined with our guest, Lauren Pitts. Lauren is an era medical researcher, and we are stoked to be able to have you on today. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be able to talk to you guys. Yeah, we're excited to speak with you today, Lauren, and about your research. And I just wanted to let our audience know we met Lauren. She had reached out to us on Instagram to connect about some of the research that she had been doing. So we're happy to talk about it with you today. But the first question that we always like to ask at the top of the show is kind of like, who sparked your passion for aviation? If it was like a certain thing or uh, experience that you had that made you really passionate about aviation? Yeah, um, my passion for aviation wasn't initiated by anyone in particular. Um, It was always kind of a curiosity of mine. I love traveling and going to the airport sometimes when my family went on vacations. Um, But I always had this notion that you had to be really good at math and science to be in aviation. And I was always stronger in writing and language arts. So initially, after graduating high school, I pursued a journalism degree. And after about a semester of that, I realized I wanted something a little more challenging. So I started looking into STEM careers and aviation in particular. Um, I enrolled in a Part 141 flight training program at my local community college. And it was there that my passion for aviation was truly sparked um, by all the instructors I I learned from and worked with. My CFI was amazing and he's gone on to do incredible things at the airlines now, but he taught me a lot of lessons about the industry in general um, and instilled that don't give up attitude in me that's so valuable in this field. the program director also became somewhat of a mentor in me. He was incredibly supportive when I ran into complications with my medical and had to switch to a different major. 
Um, he suggested different jobs within the aviation industry to pursue, and he's written letters of recommendation and has truly been a role model. So I would credit both him and my old CFI for helping to spark my passion. That's awesome. It's always great when you have a, a good a good CFI can really make or break your experience in aviation. I know myself, I was so blessed to have two amazing CFIs who I've talked about so much on this show. Um, and I'll never stop talking about them because without them, I really would not have the passion that I have for it. But why did you choose to go to Embry-Riddle and what did you major in? I chose Riddle for a couple of reasons. Um, first and foremost, I loved how many options were available, including degree, degree programs, minors, um, campuses. The flexibility of Riddle allowed me to choose the campus and the course of study that was just right for me, which ended up being the Bachelor's of Science in Aeronautics with a minor in Meteorology through the Worldwide Campus, which is the online program for any listeners that might be wondering. ERAU um, was also where the program director that I just talked about had earned his master's degree. So I had a really positive impression of the caliber of education that Riddle offers. And um, to seal the deal, I had done some homework on the job placement rates of Riddle's graduates across all three campuses. And I was very impressed with the numbers that I saw. So that really finalized it for me since securing a job after graduation is ultimately my goal with pursuing a degree in the first place. Definitely. So uh, during this time and getting your degree, um, and, and some of the work that you had to do to get your degree. I'm guessing that the study that you worked on was kind of part of that um, or was like the crowning or defining moment. So um, we kind of wanted to talk about your study and if you could expand on like why you did this study as well. So I also want to let our audience know that the study that you did kind of mirrors what we've talked about with Dr. Billy Hoffman. It was like very similar to the study that he did. So I found it very interesting in, in the results that came about because of it, because they were very similar. Um, so if you could kind of expand on why you chose to do this type of study for our audience, that would be great. Absolutely. Um, I chose to do this type of study because it's an issue that I was exposed to firsthand. I ran into complications with my medical certification, and I spent almost two, two and a half years in the special issuance process. Uh, along the way, I learned exactly why some pilots might choose not to disclose certain health conditions, because it lands them in the special issuance pipeline. It's an expensive and time-consuming process, and for career pilots, sometimes that's just too great of a risk to take. And for student pilots, that's not an easy dream to jeopardize. Um, when news broke of the tragic death of UND student John Hauser, my heart just broke because I completely understood the factors, at least on the aeromedical side, that led to him feeling trapped and like there was no path forward to get treatment. Um, John Hauser was my motivation for focusing on college students because as he showed us, that population is clearly in need of additional support. And the first step to solving the problem is to first define it through research. For sure. And we're really thankful that you took this initiative. And I'm, it, it sucks that to be inspired by something so tragic, but it also shows that from tragedy, good things can come. And I feel like we can definitely get results. I know that Maddie and I both, you know, f that's a lot of fuel in our fire for us. But what were some of the questions in your study that you asked? And what were the reactions to the questions um, from the students that who participated? 
my study had uh, three different sections. First, I measured demographics, and then I had several primary study questions that were inspired by Dr. Hoffman's studies, um, but I tailored them toward answering my specific research question. And then the final section was the Patient Health Questionnaire Depression Module, or the PHQ-9, which is a tool used in clinical settings to measure depressive symptoms and help physicians diagnose depressive disorders. Uh, the responses that I got from participants were eye-opening. First, I was surprised that I got the level of participation that I did. I sent out the survey to 2,452 students and got about a 10% response rate, which I was anticipating to be much lower due to the taboo and the stigma that surrounds this topic, and specifically people asking questions about the topic. Um, just to run through some of my big numbers really quickly, out of 232 respondents, nearly 57% met the PHQ-9 threshold for some degree of depression within the last two weeks. That's either mild, moderate, moderately severe, or severe. And of those that met the threshold, only about 17% expressed intent to seek or had already sought treatment for their mental health. Another interesting number that came out of the PHQ-9 questions was that 13.8% of respondents reported some degree of self-injurious or suicidal ideation within the last two weeks. And out of those respondents, 25% had expressed some intent to seek treatment. So out of the primary study questions that I derived from Dr. Hoffman, I found that nearly 68% reported that they worry about seeking care for mental health specifically because of the potential effects on their certification. Um, about 29% reported withholding information about mental health from their medical examiners and screenings out of concern for their certification. And finally, almost 87% agreed to some degree that they would choose not to seek medical treatment if their decision to do so might threaten their certification. Which are like pretty compelling numbers. I would say when you sent them over to me, I was like, these are very similar, like I'd said before to what Billy said. But I think the importance of this, if our audience is wondering like, yeah, we already know this, like Billy Hoffman did this study on airline pilots and military pilots. Well, Lauren's research was the only researcher study done at a student level. And I was really grateful that you did that because there hasn't been a study for students. And so it does show across the board that pilots are struggling with their mental health and do have issues with the air medical process, whether you're a student, whether you're a CFI, whether you're in the military, whether you're an airline pilot. So that's a big deal. Um, so I really congratulate you on, on pushing that study and doing it at that level. Um, and the question that I had for you was like, were you surprised at all by how the results turned out or are you feeling like it kind of confirmed what you already knew? In a way, I wasn't entirely surprised because of the research that we've seen from Dr. Hoffman in airline and military pilot populations. His numbers, especially for non-disclosure, are very close to mine. Um, going into this, there was a part of me that hoped that I would find lower numbers showing that college pilots aren't withholding their mental health information and they're seeking treatment when they need it. But that's obviously not the case. And I think the thing that surprised me the most was seeing just how normalized these issues have become across the aviation industry. College pilots are still in training, but they're the future of our industry and they're the future airline pilots, they're the future military pilots. And now we have research to show that these issues are prevalent in each of those populations. These issues have unfortunately become a type of norm that pilots will have to navigate at every stage of their career all the way from the jump, right from their training. 
Mm-hmm. It's sad that even even young people are struggling with the but, but it really goes to show that like it's not a pilot problem, it's a human problem. And I would say that at one point in most people's life, they struggle with some sort of mental health issue, um, whether it be a crisis or just simply life itself. Um, but yeah, it it is shocking and it's crazy how much these results are being mirrored with similar studies that are being done. It really shows that there is a problem. Um, but what resources are there at Embry-Riddle that, can, that pilots can use to help support them if they're struggling with their mental health? Embry-Riddle has several resources that I know of, at least, um, to help student pilots that may be struggling. The College of Aviation created a mental health task force that specifically works on developing evidence-based recommendations to help students. So the task force is working on developing a peer counseling program just for pilots, um, like we've seen UND do with the Uplift program. Um, There's also an aviation stress management course that students can take that teaches them how to navigate personal challenges and makes them aware of all of the tools and resources at their disposal as pilots considering the unique barriers to healthcare that they face. Um, one of these tools is the My SSP app, which provides 24-7 confidential mental health and well-being support to students. Do you feel like from your study that Embry-Riddle is going to kind of change some things for students? that support them a little more because I feel like there's always if they feel this way and there's already those resources maybe there could be more done so do you think that that's going to happen absolutely I mean from what we've seen just in the past couple of years as this issue has become more prevalent and more research is being done more awareness is being raised we've seen so many steps being taken in the right direction, not just at Embry-Riddle, but at so many aviation universities around the country, implementing peer support programs, offering more resources, trying to understand the issue a little bit better and be considerate of the fact that students in aviation programs are a little bit different than normal students who might seek counseling, but aviation students have that barrier that they have to overcome in worrying about their certification and their career and that doesn't allow them to see care as freely as normal students. So um, universities are being mindful of that and they're coming up with some really impactful and effective solutions like the peer support programs to reach the students and not forget some of the reasons behind their struggles. Yeah, I mean, when you shared the like results with like your professors and things, what did they think? Like, did they have any ideas of how to kind of lower these numbers? Because they, it's quite a big percentage that are are struggling at the university level. Absolutely, yeah. I had the opportunity to present this project at um, a research symposium on campus, and. So many of the people that came up to me, professors and students alike, they said that there's such a need for research like this because it's talked about that students know that this is a problem, but there's no numbers to point to. There's nothing that can say for sure, this is the problem, this is the scope, what now? Um, and we're kind of in that what now phase of, okay, we know it's a problem, how do we move forward? And um, there's still so much in development with this that it's kind of hard to say exactly where it's going to go. but. Um, Based on the progress that we've seen so far, I'm hopeful that the situation for student pilots will improve in the future. 
Definitely. Hope is better than no hope. So I'm glad that you're getting that ball moving. Yeah. But what do you think, in your opinion, would help the air medical process or the air medical system be better as it pertains to the special issuance? I love this question. And I'm so glad that you asked this because I feel that when we talk about reform, it's so easy to just let emotions guide the conversation and just call for total reform. Um, in reality, I think that baby steps would be most effective in this realm. Um, one step forward is the start of a million steps. So in reality, I would like to see expanded treatment options. And I'm not just talking about SSRIs as we've seen lately. Um, depression treatment is not one size fits all. So SSRIs might work for some people, but others might benefit more from therapy. And I mean like actual cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy, and not just the counseling type therapy that's less consequential according to current standards. Um, I'd also like to see the correspondence side of the process become more digitalized. In my experience, the waiting was one of the hardest parts of the process because every letter, every packet, every test result or record was sent via certified mail. And a lot of the correspondence had to be sent directly from doctors to the FAA via mail. So there's this whole process of going to your doctor, explaining the situation, and having them send whatever they need to the FAA. After it's sent, it arrives at the receiving facility, either in Oklahoma City or Washington, um, depending where your case is processed, and it could spend several weeks in the mailroom before it's even scanned into the system, and then several more weeks before it's reviewed. Um, I know the FAA is short staff right now, which is understandably contributing to a lot of these delays. Um, but in the future, I'd really like to see some type of secure online portal for not only AMEs, but doctors to upload documentation directly to the FAA. Um, and in this portal, maybe a place to check the status of your documents to see if they've been reviewed yet. And if a decision has been made, um, I think a system like this would address one of the major fears of those that face the special issues process, which is being out of commission for a long time and being stuck in the system for months to years. And hopefully it would cut down on some of the wait times. Yeah, I uh, I totally agree with that. That's like one of the pillars that MNI are fighting for for congressional change is shortening the time, making this the process more efficient. Because I think in all actuality, like that is the biggest one to helping alleviate the stress that goes along with any part of the special issuance process. It doesn't even matter if it has to do with your mental health. The the time is so arduous and causes so much stress because you don't know where you are in the process. And, and that obviously transparency kind of goes with the efficiency part of things. So I, I think that's just exactly what we, we nail on the head all the time is like, if the process could be more efficient, more transparent, where there's more of an interaction with a human being for the aviator, that there, the, there wouldn't be such a big barrier to disclosing. People would be more apt to say what's wrong with them if there was a more efficient process. So I'm glad that you said that. I'm grateful you like that question because I do like to ask it to every aviator who's ever dealt with the aeromedical system. Um, but in speaking about changes, there have been some new changes that have taken place. So May 31st, there was um, some big announcements from the FAA about adding more SSRIs, giving a little more leeway to the AMEs and allowing them to update the 
the uh, paperwork process, I guess, more efficiently. So instead of faxing it, they can upload it online. So that makes the process more efficient. And I was just kind of wanting, wondering like what your thoughts about the newest changes were. I'm very pleased to see the latest changes. Um, I think that removing some of these barriers are steps in the right direction. I'm glad to see that the FAA recognizes where improvements are needed, like making the system more user-friendly for AMEs, giving more treatment options. Um, another one that I noticed recently was removing follow-up neurocognitive testing, which not only alleviates one more test for aviators, but it's also a big expense that they no longer have to worry about. Um, so with the extended treatments, this expedites the process. And I hope that we can keep seeing positive changes like this as new research comes out. Um, I know Dr. Hoffman has a few studies in the works and I've also seen research from other students lately that's been long awaited. So hopefully new research can guide and inform future changes. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. So my last and final question for you before we move into our fun question segment is what advice would you give to a student pilot that's struggling with their mental health? Help is out there. Help is absolutely out there, whether it's a new problem or an old one that's flaring up. There's a path forward and out of that darkness. It's not going to be easy, but be honest, seek treatment first and foremost. I understand that it might be tempting to just stuff it all down and hope that it'll get better on its own or try to remedy it on your own. But in the long run, that's not a sustainable solution. Um, nip it in the bud now as soon as possible before it becomes a much bigger problem that you can't get a handle on. Um, there are people out there that have been in your shoes and have come out on the other side with flying colors. Um, they were honest, they sought treatment, they kept their medical and they have long successful careers doing what they love, but doing it the healthy way. Um, your story is valuable and you have a purpose that goes way beyond your certification. Um, like Maddie said at the beginning here, and what Dr. Hoffman also said recently was that pilot mental wellness is human mental wellness. And it's so easy to get caught up in the politics of flying and all of the different processes that allow pilots to do so. But at the end of the day, pilots are still human beings that face very real, very human issues. And those issues need to be treated and managed in a healthy manner in order to be a successful pilot. I totally agree. Um, I think it's difficult uh, I, we just talked to an aviator earlier today who, uh, it, it took him a while to come to terms with like putting himself before being a pilot. And I totally get it because it takes so much effort to become a pilot. Um, and I'm learning this just in my, just becoming a private pilot even is so much information, so much training and practice and studying and, and really like giving up a lot of things that you might want to do for, for flying. And so I, I can see how, how aviators really try to deal with it as best possible on their own. But at the end of the day, I always think it's better just deal with your, your mental health or any type of physical struggle that you have first um, and foremost and care about yourself before you care about being a pilot and as difficult as that is to say, I always think it will work out for the best in the end. So that's my two cents. I don't Absolutely. know if you have anything Absolutely. to say about that, but yeah. So I, um, sometimes especially when you're, you're really immersed in your training, it's really hard to separate 
yourself as a person from yourself as a pilot and then understanding the interaction between those two identities and in order to be a good pilot you have to take care of yourself as a person it, it's a unique struggle that not many people understand unless they've been there but there is light on the other side and that's like my biggest message is that no matter where you are in that process if you're just starting help or if you're just considering treatment or if you're know that it's something that you definitely need to seek out there's somebody there that's been in your shoes and has made it i always remind people i'm like you're more than a pilot you're a human being like at the end of the day your life is your life is so much more valuable than the the license that you've got in your pilot as cool as it might be and as as much as it might bring you joy you have to find that joy from within and unfortunately for a lot of us aviators it can be a extremely like like life-size pill to swallow um it's difficult but I definitely I love your message and it's always important to reiterate to people that like getting help before it becomes so severe that you've created this hole that you can't climb out of is extremely important um you know hopefully we'll get to a point where people can just go and get help without feeling like they're calling it quits and having to give up something to invest in themselves but Mm -hmm. by having those studies like you're doing and the work that you're doing and the work that billy hoffman is doing the work that students at und are doing as a collective force i i do believe change is on the horizon and as we just spoke about change has already happened so we're we're making waves we are making waves but i know that we want to roll into our fun cues to lighten and soften the mood before we go Mm -hmm. um so I'll ask the first one because I never ask the fun cues. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, I feel like bossy right now. It, you I'm you bossy. can be in charge, girl. You know I don't <laughs> I care. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm gonna take it from here. So, <laughs> Lauren, are you a sweatshirt or a jacket kind of girl? Oh, um, sweatshirt all the way. Nothing better than a big comfy hoodie. Same, um, same here. Me too. Right. They're like all sweatshirt what? people. Nothing can beat a sweatshirt. Like I just love them. It, it's I definitely live like in them. Yeah, we do. We do. Our <laughs> pilots pandemic sweatshirts. That thing, like mine, needs washed because it's growing. Um, it, it has its own ecosystem at this point. The <laughs> amount that I wear that thing. <laughs> but yeah, it's like my it's like my snuggie. That's I love the invention of a snuggie because it's like a blanket hoodie. They're genius yes. for that. Mm-hmm. That's a personality for me, my stuggy personality. <laughs> All right. Next question, Lauren. Are you an accessory queen or a plain Jane kind of girl? Which plain Jane is like, I hate the word plain Jane. Let's use minimalist. Oh, minimalist. Ooh, I like <laughs> Probably somewhere in the middle, honestly. Not quite plain, but also not like accessorized to the max somewhere like a reasonable balance I guess yeah yeah for sure I'm definitely a I'd say I err more on the side of like minimalism like every single time I wear a necklace I feel insane like it doesn't matter if it's like a small necklace I literally feel like I'm making a statement so when I'm wearing a necklace and it's typically one necklace that I wear I'm wearing it for a reason, but for the most part, I'm very minimalist. I just love my gold earrings and like a small gold piece of like jewelry, like a gold ring or something like that. 
Okay, well, you like the same way. Okay, I I can go both ways, but I do like a little bling. Like, I could wear like three necklaces, some hoops, and like four rings and some bracelets, maybe. So, Maddie, you're our fashion queen. Okay. (laughs) Like, you are literally, you you are my fashion idol. I sent Maddie a TikTok the other day. There's this um, woman that comes up on my TikTok and she's like, in her god she's like yes yes in her (laughs) 60s or 70s but she dresses like she's 20 or 30 years old and it reminds me so much of maddie i'm like this is gonna be maddie because this woman has the most beautiful eclectic taste and style and i'm just like that's maddie like maddie can dress her ass off excuse my french but maddie serves serves hardcore (laughs) i'm sending you like air kisses like thank you thank you thank you i'm grabbing them i'm grabbing them i'm (laughs) grabbing them okay we'll move on so our last and final question for you coffee or tea lauren Mm, i'd say coffee although to be honest i'm more of an energy drink kind of girl Ooh, I feel okay. that. that could be an option be like a monster or something okay okay like just the regular or like is it i don't even know if there's flavors of monster so you know i don't drink energy drinks but no, do you have so like a flavor that i like to try all different oh you like to try them all yeah mm, probably the monster you know what? When I was in my energy drinking era, I really loved Bang Energies. I love the cotton candy Bang, and my I've favorite. Never tried that one. Really? That you haven't tried the cotton? The cotton candy slaps, and the other good one, which they never do anymore. My favorite, and people think I'm so gross for this. The birthday cake Bang was oh. everything. Dude, you Everything. really like the sweet like flavors. I liked um the sour apple. Oh, see, Zach likes that. Uh, and the lemon drop. And then Zach the, loves the lemon the drop. Red, the red, white, and blue. Me and Zach can be besties now. We already are, but you know, that just adds to his appeal for me. I'm a big energy drink girl too, Lauren. And I've been like, I don't even know. I love, and if I'm going to ball out on myself, I wish they weren't as expensive and I wish they made them a little bit bigger, but the Alani new are, oh, wow. The cosmic stardust one is incredible. I've heard so many good things about that. I need to try that too. You've got to try the Alani new. If you're an energy drink girl, which so am I, girl, P.S. And by the way, uh, Celsius, I think it is. Celsius makes a um, a package, like a little packed powder for, I think it's like eight bucks. It's honestly a steal. It comes with like 14 and I get those and they're so yummy. The dragon fruit flavor is amazing. It's not carbonated, but it's still like really, really good if you're on the go and you want to pack something to bring with you amazing but honestly now that we're talking about energy drinks like if i had to choose coffee tea or energy drink i'm choosing energy drink but if i had to choose between coffee or tea really depends on who's making it coffee's easier to make it can get in your body quicker tea you kind of have to like wait like there's a patience element unless Mm -hmm. i'm going to starbucks or like where somebody's making it for me then i love tea but yeah, I go back and forth. Listen, you I don't just have lo- the patience I'm, for tea. I don't have the patience for tea. Like I only make it at night because I just I can't wait for it to steep and all this stuff. Like, come on, just give it to me. But honestly, I'm yeah. a be- I'm a beverage girly. Like, 
I want a beverage at all times. Beverages make things better. I need a beverage on my way to work. I need a beverage at work. That's why I love kind of working at a restaurant because I can just get my Diet Coke, my little Mm. Diet Coke. Yeah. But anyways, all right. What about you, Maddie? I already know what you're going to say. Well, okay. So I will say there was a time when I was really obsessed with energy drinks, but this is back when I was a ramper and I was working at a regional airport. And you guys, you know what I used to do that? I'm just like, wow, I can't believe I used to do this. But I used to, because Lauren said Red Bull, I was like, oh, I remember when I used to want to get my wings. I used to shotgun a Red Bull and then I would take, and then I'd slam a five hour energy right after it. Um, Right? I was like, how did I not have a heart attack? Like I used to do it all the time every morning because I worked 3 a.m. shifts. But I think that's what really exhausted me with energy drinks. So I, and and then that's what started me on my coffee kick too, is working at the airlines because I, I didn't used to drink coffee at all. And I was like, I need something strong, like super strong. And so I would just like pile on the coffee grounds, like way more than you would ever need. And the coffee was like drinking like black tar, but it definitely <laughs> gave you a zap. <laughs> Listen, if my coffee doesn't look like nuclear waste, like garbage runoff, then I'm not drinking it. Like I need it so, so black. Like if I hold it up into the sun, like that's how I know I didn't use enough coffee grounds. And I can see my coffee now that Maddie gave me a Chemex. So it's like the pour over coffee in the glass crevasse or whatever so you can see if you carafe sorry carafe um (laughs) when you hold it up into the sun you can see like the light hit it if I can see light shining through my coffee I didn't use enough grounds like it's not black enough Um, I'm on board with that (laughs) I'm the I'm the same way it's got to be strong if I'm drinking it but god honestly all three of us are just kind of like addicted to caffeine though yeah yeah Yeah. I'm I'm realizing this (laughs) (laughs) well when you're researching like lauren and podcasting like us you need it um Mm -hmm. red bull sponsor us please give me my wings i already have them but you could like put a little jet fuel in them (laughs) (laughs) all right well we are getting late here on the east coast it is almost nine o'clock i think this is one of the latest recordings that we've ever done dude but I love it. The grind is so real. Thank you, Lauren, so much for making this happen. I know you got off of work not that long ago, and you probably haven't even like sat down or taken off your shoes. And I know how it feels to get off of work and have something planned. So I just admire and appreciate you for making the time for this today. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak about my project and about these issues and bring some more awareness and light to college student pilots. Uh, a bit of a different population than we're used to talking about, but one that deserves attention just as much as the airlines. For sure. I mean, our college pilots and our student pilots are the future commercial airline pilots that will be getting us around and carrying us all across the world. So attention focused on them is so crucial and needs to always, always, always be like, like important and in the front of people's like, main access you know these young generations it's like your grandma says like these young generations they're gonna rule the world um but that's how I feel about it it's like you gotta you gotta really pay attention to the kids because the kids are the future so I appreciate what you're doing Lauren and 
we will link your study in the podcast description below. Um, but yeah, that is all for this week's episode. Thank you again so much for joining us. As you all know, keep the blue side up and the brown side down. We'll see y'all next week. Bye y'all. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder.